Thank you, thank you. How are you guys doing this Sunday? Good, it's so good to see all your beautiful faces. Whether you've been here a few times, a few years, the whole entire time, or it's your first time, I want you to know that you are welcome all the same. You are equally as loved. And uh, my prayer every single week for you guys is that each and every one of you feels wanted and needed here at Jubilee and that you feel just um, like you belong here. Um, But for those of you who don't know me, my name is Daniel. I'm a pastor on staff here. And what an honor it is uh, to speak to you today. I'm super excited to see what God does. But before we jump in, I thought I'd catch you up a little bit with what's going on in my life because it's been a few months since I've been up here. And just to preface, Holly and I are not pregnant, so don't get your hopes up. Um, But for those of you who do know, uh, we had COVID a few months ago, and we've mended well, we're healing, we're all better. Um, But anytime you have COVID, you have the opportunity to have a bad attitude about it or sickness, anything, or you can have a good attitude and be like, okay, I can laugh at the small things, I can laugh at the humorous things. So I'm going to tell you a few of the humorous things that happened to us while we had COVID. So I got it first. And then our kids got it, and it was totally the grace of God that, that Holly got it after actually I was done having COVID. So she was able to help take care of me and the kids, and I was able to help take care of her. Uh, but one of the things I did, first off, it is the weirdest sickness in the world, like losing your taste and smell, this ebb and flow of like, oh, I have the flu one day. Okay, now I have a headache. Now I have a temperature. Now I'm coughing. Now I'm throwing up. Like, it just didn't make its decision up. But when the taste and smell went away, it was the weirdest thing. I can't even explain to you how weird it was. But every morning what I would do, my ritual, because my my taste was about 100% gone, but my smell was about 10 to 15%. So every morning I'd walk down and smell a tissue. You know those Vicks tissues that you can smell? So I'd put it to my nose and go, okay, I can still smell. And then secondly, I'd go over and I'd wash my hands and it would be scented and I'd go, oh, I can smell. But lo and behold, my wife, who is a lot funnier than most people know, and she does it without even trying. The first day, uh, she, she, she switches the tissue box to non-scented <laughs> tissues. So I, I walk down and I'm smelling. I go, oh, Holly, it's going away. And then I go wash my hands and I smell, okay, it's a little bit left. I can still smell a little bit. And then that night, without telling me, she switches the soap to unscented. And she does this on accident. She's not doing it on purpose. She has eczema, so she's trying to wash her hands without scented soap. So the next morning, I walk down, and I smell. And then, oh, I can't smell. I go over to the, the, the soap, can't smell. Oh, my goodness, Holly, I've lost my smell completely. And then it took a few days for her to tell me. Uh, I was like, Holly, I, my smell's just not coming back. And she's, I was like, I smell the tissues and the soap. And she's like, oh, I switched both of those. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So the next thing with the smell is, is I, I have a very weak stomach, like just the certain smells and like I'll, I'll get like phlegm in my throat and I'll just start like to throw up, like just, it's not good. And, and um, specifically baby poop, like that just makes me just gag. But there was one morning where I couldn't smell anything and my, my youngest daughter, Adeline, we call her Della, we were just cuddling, I'm giving her raspberry kisses on her stomach, all that stuff. And then like 30 minutes of cuddling and kissing and stuff like that, Holly comes in, she's like, what's that that smells? And I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I can't smell anything. And she comes over, you know, does the whole mother, open the diaper. Uh, Della has a nasty poop. And I'm like, okay. And then just hand it to her. But I took advantage of that because I was like, I don't change a whole lot of dirty diapers. So while I had COVID, I was like, bring them over, bring them over. I'll change all the dirty diapers you have. 
And then lastly, with Holly, like I was saying, she had it, uh, the last part of it, uh, and she was losing her taste and smell. Actually, the, the very uh, night before she completely lost her taste, she was like, you know what sounds really good, Daniel? And I was like, what sounds good? And she's like, I want a burger and Brussels sprouts. And I'm like, okay, that's super random, but yeah, let's do it. So there was a place locally that I went and got a burger, and then I got some Brussels sprouts, and she's like, this is so good, thank you. So, so she goes to bed, and she, she uh, wakes up the next morning, and she's like, oh, I've lost my taste completely. I'm like, oh, that stinks. I'm sorry. So she's eating, and she's like, Daniel, all I can taste is Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so for two weeks, all she could taste was Brussels sprouts. And I'm like, you shouldn't have had Brussels sprouts the night before. <laughs> no, all joking aside, we are in the middle of a series called Unexpected Words of Jesus. And the whole premise of this message of the series was if you go through the New Testament, you see things that Jesus says, you see things that Jesus does, and you're like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Because really what Jesus says is a lot of things that are uh, the antithesis of what we think we should be doing. You know, the first shall come last, the last shall become first. Like what, I've never, I've never, in American, it's like, let's, I'm going to be first. I want to win. Like that's who I am, you know. But Jesus is like, no, I want you to do the opposite. So we're in our third week. We've had Pastor John speak and Pastor Terry. If you're not caught up, I want to encourage you. It's been a really good series, a really fun series. Uh, but I want to give you the backstory of how I got to the conclusion of what I'm talking about today. So uh, the way that we do this is each Tuesday we meet in the morning, our teaching team, our teaching team consists of the pastors that come up here and speak to you guys. And we meet and kind of just pass ideas, uh, you know, that would be a really cool illustration, this would be a cool example, so on and so forth. But when we start a new series, we have more of an in-depth uh, conversation, hey, maybe let's go in this direction. But Pastor Terry was gone this week. And so we come to, to, to this uh, meeting, and I come with this idea, and I was like, you know what would be really cool is what if we talked about the Beatitudes? And, and they're like, yeah, really, Daniel, what are you thinking with the Beatitudes? And I was like, there's two of them that really stick out to me. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are those who are meek. And they're like, okay, well, let's table it for now, and, and we'll talk about it when it's your week, uh, because it was Pastor John's week coming up, so we continued to work at his and then and, and fast forward, we get through his message, and it's Tuesday again. We come in, Terry's like, texts everybody, hey, I know what I'm talking about, so Daniel, come bring your message, what you want to talk about. So Terry comes in and doesn't have any idea, and he goes, I want to talk about blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who are meek. And I'm like, mm. and it's me, like, I have the ultimate respect for Terry, so I'm never, I'm not going to be like, hey, that's my message, like, like it's, it's Pastor Terry, like, I I defer to him. If he wants that, he can have it. Uh, but as we started to, to have it go along, as we decided to discover uh, what really Terry was going to talk about, and if you were here last week, you know that he talked to blessed are those who mourn, because who better to talk about mourning and the experiences that Terry's been through? And they were like, Daniel, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, well, believe it or not, these are the two that I wanted to talk about. And I was like, I need your help. And they were like, whoa, 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 well, maybe God's doing something. Maybe God's speaking to you because how is Terry, who wasn't even here, didn't even see the notes, come and say the exact two Beatitudes that I want to talk about? So we decided to split it, and they said, Daniel, why don't you talk it on blessed are those who meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And they said, who better to speak about meekness because you are the meekest man that I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, once I'm in high school and, and, and youth group, I, the kid was like, all right, tell us something. He was up on stage. Tell us something that nobody knows about you. And he was like... 
I'm probably the most humble person that I know. And everyone's like, is he joking? Like, is he being serious? He was dead serious about being humble. Um, so I'm today going to talk to you about Matthew 5.5. 5. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So let me ask you this question. When you hear the word meek, what comes to mind? Weakness? A rollover? Someone that submits? Submissive? And here's the interesting thing that I found out with my studying. It's okay for us as Americans, us in the English language, to accept this as being meekness. But what we have to realize is when Jesus said this, he was not speaking from an English root. So the English definition of meekness is quiet, gentle, easily imposed on, and submissive. So when we read this and we comprehend it in our English languages, Matthew 5.5, how do we come to the conclusion of someone that is a rollover? Someone that's submissive, how are they supposed to inherit the earth? See, what people don't know, maybe some of you do and don't, Jesus spoke three different languages at least. He spoke Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew. So if we go to the root of the English language of meekness, it actually comes from a Nordic, an old Nordic language, and I'm not going to be able to get this word right, but it's mature. M-J-U-K-R. So if anybody knows how to pronounce that, come and talk to me after and you can help me. Okay. And then for the Greek, it's the word prius. Prius, which is translated to strength under control. Strength under control. And believe it or not, when the Greeks were, were training their war horses, they said, I want my horse to be meek. I want my horse to be meek, meaning I want it to be a controlled strength because if a horse is not controlled going into battle and goes one way or the other and is not listening to orders, what's going to happen? Chaos. So they would train their horses to be meek. So the real translation that we should be looking at when we see Jesus, when he's speaking on the Beatitudes, when he's preaching, blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's saying, blessed are those who have strength under control, for they shall inherit the earth. That is what he is saying. And we have multiple people throughout the Bible that have meekness. Multiple, but we have the self-proclaimed most meekest man alive, Moses. We have the true meekest man alive, Jesus. And what I wanted to do today is bounce back between characteristics that I saw in men and women in the Bible, but specifically these two. And I want to talk about stories and these characteristics. So would you guys just pray with me real quick? Jesus, we come before you. We honor you in everything. In everything. Lord, it's not about impressing anybody today. It's not about just showing up and coming to church, Lord. It's about growing and being a better human being. It's about growing and being a better son and daughter of Christ. So, Lord, open the ears. Impede on these brains to remember the things. Let people grow. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first characteristic that I want to talk to you about is admitting to your own limitations. Admitting to your own limitations is the first characteristic of being a meek human being. And I know what you're saying. They're like, okay, what does that mean? Because we are Americans. Like I was saying, we have no limitations. We can do everything on our own, right? But let's look at the story of Moses in Exodus 17, 8 through 13. It goes this way. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. 
Moses said to Joshua, choose some of your men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So we have this man who has done all these incredible, miraculous things, spreading the Red Sea, hitting a stone and having water come out of it, praying for manna to fall from the sky. And I know it's God doing these miraculous things, but it was Moses. And if we have this man who could do all these things, and yet he's able to recognize and accept his limitations and recognize them, then why are we as human beings so prideful to be like, I don't need help? I don't have limitations. I can do this on my own. But here's the thing. If you're not able to recognize your limitations, you will never be able to overcome your limitations. Let me say that again. If you're not able to recognize your limitations, then you will never be able to overcome your limitations. So why do we as humans constantly put ourselves in a position of burning ourselves out, of knowing that we're not good at something, and yet still pushing through? Because here's the matter of a fact. There's always going to be someone out there better than you at something else. Always. So why would you not humble yourself See, being humble is something that you do for yourself. It's something that you do right here. But being meek is something that you do with everyone. It's external. Being a meek person is being able to come to the realization that I am not great at everything. So what are those limitations in your life? And we all have limitations, whether it be mental, physical, Spiritual, maybe it's a skill set. We all have that. So, what are your limitations? I have a little bit of a funny story for me. So, let me, by raise of hand, who's a golfer in here? A lot of golfers in this church. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, for me, I am very passionate about golfing. Very passionate. Anybody that's golfed for a while knows what the yips are. Okay, and I have had the yips for about two months with my driver, and it is driving me, I, I cannot even tell, imagine something that you're so passionate about, and that you were good at, and now you can't drive it more than 150 yards, and it just looks like a wounded duck shot by a shotgun. And I have to scramble on every hole. Okay, it's, it's the most aggravating thing. You know how I actually came up with this? I asked my dad, I was like, hey, what do you think is a good example, a good illustration of, of uh, accepting, you know, your limitations? And he goes, you should talk about your golf game. I'm like, oh, <laughs> dad, I'm going to get you back. You're 35 years older than me. <laughs> so, so I've had this, this, these yips. And really what it's come down to is I'm, I'm like, I need to do it myself. I can do it myself. Let me just push through it. Uh, I'm just going to continue going to the range. But here's the thing. I continue going to the range. I continue playing and doing all these things. You know what I'm doing? I'm actually promoting bad habits with my swing. 
I'm doing stuff that I'm like, okay, maybe if I try it a little more wide, maybe if I go more steep, maybe if I follow through, you know, all these things that's actually making it a worse swing. So you know what I need to do is humble myself and go to my friend that's a professional and say, fix my swing, help me. But yet we have this pride as humans to be like, I can push through this. I can do this. See, when we don't accept our limitations, really what we're saying is I don't believe I have blind spots in my life. Even Jethro, which was Moses' father-in-law, had to come and visit him right as after he goes through the Red Sea because Moses was doing everything. He's like, I can handle all the law, I can handle all the business, I can handle all the organization, I can do everything. And Jethro comes and goes, you're an idiot. You need to fix this. You're going to kill yourself within two years if you do not start putting up the proper people in the places that will help you and that will benefit you. So what Jethro really was saying to Moses is, you have blind spots. You are not perfect. You cannot do all of this. So church, what are the blind spots in your life? Is it addiction? Just one more week and I'll quit. Jesus, forgive me. I know I'm not perfect. Just give me one more night. Is it your marriage? And church, please realize that there should never be any shame behind trying to help yourself. And that's the number one thing that stops people from realizing their limitations. That's the number one thing that stops people in realizing what's behind them and their blind spots is they feel shameful. They think if I admit to this, then these people are going to look at me differently. There is nothing more freeing than coming to the position of being like, I am not perfect and I have a blind spot and I need help. So you can go to Jesus and you can pray these things, but Jesus gave us other human beings to help us get through that, to keep us accountable. What are those blind spots in your life? See, blind spots aren't there to make you feel guilty. Blind spots are there to help you. They're there to show you your limitations. That's why when you're driving and you have a blind spot, you do an extra look around. You take an extra second before you merge into the other lane. What are those blind spots in your life, church? So my first example or characteristic of being a meek person is accepting your uh, limitations or coming to the realization of your limitations. The next is deferring to others, deferring to others. And you're like, what does that mean? How does that make me meek to defer to other people? So let's look at this story here. In Luke 10, one through three, it goes this way. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly in the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. 
Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So the part where I got really loud was to show you Jesus was on his way to those towns already. He was on his way to preach the gospel. He was on his way to do the miraculous. He was on his way to feed the poor. He was on his way to do those things. But yet he ran into 72 people that were willing to do this. So what Jesus did is he enabled them. He deferred to them. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And if you read more of that scripture, he goes, walk and heal people. Cast out demons. See, here's the thing. We worship a Lord, and we should be thankful because he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to fulfill his calling. But he chose us. He's saying, come along. He's enabling us, saying, go unto the world. Go unto the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You don't think he could have done that? Absolutely he could have. But he's enabling us. He's enabling us to go and do his works. He's brought us into his kingdom, into his power to do his works. So are we enabling in our lives? Are we deferring to others? Are we in a meeting? And maybe there's a person that's been working really hard, but you have the tenor there. And you're typically, you know, taking over the meeting. You're the one that controls it. Are you saying, hey, Tom, hey, Julie, what do you think? And letting them take over. Because here are the three things that are going to happen when you defer to others. One, you're going to help someone have the opportunity to grow. Two, you're going to have, help someone grow in confidence. And three, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And this doesn't mean anybody. I'm not going to tell someone to just come up here and preach. But if you're putting in the work, if you're putting in the time, it's like me going to your quarterly assessment, financial thing, business meeting, board meeting, whatever, and being like, Daniel, you lead it. Oh, okay. I wouldn't know what to do. But if someone's putting in the work, putting in the time, doing these things, are we enabling others? Are we taking control of every facet of our life and not letting other people grow, not letting other people grow in confidence. And that's hard for me. That's very hard for me. You know what I love about writing messages is that the Lord always convicts me when I write messages. Am I enabling and letting other people grow? I have a story of of my wife and I, and we were meeting with a couple for dinner one time. Don't worry, it wasn't a couple here um, in, um, at Jubilee. Uh, but we were having dinner, and, and it, was, it was a good dinner. We were coming to the end, and they just, um, they both just started, like, broke down and started crying and just opening up. Uh, I think probably the thought of me being a pastor, of Holly being a pastor. And, and they're just like, hey, this is what we're struggling with. This is what we're going through. And, and I'm like, you know, I just wanted to have a dinner, like, and, and not, you know, do this. But, you know, I'm not going to turn down the opportunity to do this. So I'm about to talk. And then Holly starts to talk. And Holly starts to just prophesy over this couple. And starts to preach to them and starts to pastor them. You know, my wife told me this morning, you know, people just know me as Daniel's wife. I told her, you know what? People know me just as Holly's husband. (laughs) But it's hard, specifically for her, 
just to, just to have that confidence of being a pastor, but oh my gosh, when she walks into the confidence of the Holy Spirit moving in her lives, and when she walks in the confidence of knowing that Jesus is speaking to her, I am absolutely blown away, and it's not just this one time with this couple, it has been so many times. Are we deferring to our spouses? Are we letting people that we love grow into the human beings that God has called them to be? That's men and women. So instead of me being like, Holly, Holly, let me, let me talk here. You know, this is what I do. I let her just go. And it turned into just this, this emotional, just they're crying, we're crying. And just to see her develop into this pastor, because it's this confidence issue. But guess what? When I deferred it to her, she's growing in confidence. And I'm able to encourage her and be like, oh my gosh. That was amazing. There's times where I'm just so blown away by the things that she does. So blown away. But if I don't give her the opportunity, if I don't defer to her, then how am I supposed to be blown away by what she does? How am I supposed to see her grow? How am I supposed to build her confidence up? So church, think about the people that you work with. Think about your kids. Think about your spouses, your friends. Are you in a meeting and you're controlling it, that you don't give other people the opportunity to grow, to grow in confidence. And I promise you, I promise you, if you see this, if you do this, you will be pleasantly surprised, and you'll be very proud. Because really what it comes down to is they're learning from you. And there's nothing more honoring than seeing someone that you've taught, seeing someone that you have built up, this character, this person, and seeing them come into their own. When you pour into somebody, and that's not just spiritually, that's talking about your work. And it's being able to let go. And I know it's a scary thing because you're thinking, this person's going after my job. This person's going to make me irrelevant. But that's not what being a meek person is. A meek person is letting go. A meek person is letting other people grow into themselves. A meek person is letting someone grow into the confidence of who they are and who God created them to be. Are we deferring to others in our life? So the third characteristic that I want to talk to you about is accepting circumstances. Accepting circumstances. Can I get a residing boo? That stinks. I don't want to accept circumstances. It's a hard one to take in. I mean, I have kids, and I'm like, I wish it was easier to raise young kids. And then you have parents that have older kids, and they're like, I wish it was easier to raise older kids. And I'm just in the heat of it growing up. I wish money wasn't as hard. I wish that the Eagles would start winning football games, but they won't. There's so many things that I don't want to accept. But a characteristic of a meek person is accepting circumstances in your life. Accepting circumstances in your life. So I want to say this before I dive in more into this point to clarify on accepting circumstances. I think there can be a connotation of accepting a circumstance and being like, okay, the Lord will bring it. Like, so for example, like, oh, I need help with money, so I'm not gonna do anything. No, accepting a circumstance is, hey, this is where I'm at. 
how do I get out of this place? You know, that's accepting circumstances. It's not being like, okay, I'm out of money. Lord, bring me money. Like, that's not, that's not accepting a circumstance. That's being lazy. <laughs> so accepting circumstances. So let's go to Luke 22, 39 through 44. It goes this way. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being able in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So I think what we need to realize, and I've said this before, is Jesus was fully man, fully man, and fully God. So meaning that if he was fully man, he had fear, he had anxiety, he had stresses. Jesus went to the bathroom. He was human. He had all of these feelings, all of the things that normal human beings go through. Except here's the difference. He's the son of God. And he knows that he's about to be sacrificed. He knows he's about to be crucified. He knows he's about to be killed. And you think that, you know, it's like this, this idea that Jesus was like, perfect, take me to the cross. Like, let me, let me be crucified. No, Jesus was praying to the Lord, Jesus, Father, Father. Just imagine this anguish. He's in so much anxiety and stress and pain that he's literally sweating blood, people. He's saying, Father, if there's anything, if there's anything you can do, take this cup away from me. Take this cup away from me, please. You can just imagine Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Jesus, God, please. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to go through this pain. When he follows up, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And there's so many circumstances in this church alone, the people in this church, of what people are going through, big, small, anything. And it's hard to accept circumstances. But I think Jesus, in this one story, gives us a huge, two huge secrets of how to go through circumstances better, how to better accept circumstances in our life. And the first one is that he went and prayed. He went and prayed, church. If you're going through something physical, mental, anything like that, when was the last time you were driven to your knees in prayer? When was the last time you went through a circumstance in your life that you were driven to your knees, crying out to the Lord, saying, heal me, change the situation? Whether it be an adult child that's not following the Lord, maybe it's a physical something, maybe it's a mental something, maybe it's anxiety, stress, whatever. When was the last time we were driven to our knees, crying out to the Lord and saying, Jesus, save me, Jesus, heal me? And when you don't accept those circumstances, you're not willing to go down to your knees. And I promise you, church, I'm just as guilty. When was the last time we were driven to our knees with a circumstance in our lives? And it doesn't mean literally being driven to your means. It means to pray. When was the last time we cried out to our Lord? And here's the best part. He wants you to. He wants to hear your prayers. He wants to hear these things. He's our Lord and yet he has chose us. He wants us to pray and shout out and cry out to him. 
When was the last time that we were driven to our knees? All the great people in the Bible were all driven to their knees constantly. We look at King David. Hey, King David, an army is coming. Instead of just going and attacking, he says, wait, let me pray. Hey, Joshua, the sun's coming down, so we're going to have to pull back the armies and finish the battle tomorrow. Should I do that? Wait, let me pray. Sun, stand still. And the sun stands still, and he finishes the army. Why isn't the first thing that we do, the first reaction we do in every circumstance in our life, good, bad, small, anything, why isn't the first thing we do, pray? If it's a good circumstance, thank you, Jesus. Is it a bad circumstance? Jesus, help me. If it's a math test, help me with this test. That should be the first thing we always do. Always, in every single circumstance that we go through, is prayer. I wrote this down. Church, if we want a mile-high revival, it starts with a life of prayer. Every single revival in modern history, in ancient history, has started with men and women driven to their knees, shouting out to the Lord. Every single one of them. If you want a mile-high revival, it's not just on the pastors to be praying. It's on our church family to be preaching. We're in here together. If you want to see change in this world, it starts on prayer. If you want to see change in your son and daughter life, it starts with prayer. If you want to see change in addiction in your own life, it starts with prayer. Are we praying? And the other secret that we see that Jesus did, so the first thing he does is pray, and he asks. And the second thing he said, not my will, but your will be done. So if we could start every single prayer with saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, it will help immensely in accepting the circumstances that we are going in our life. Immensely. It's one thing to say it after, but it's a completely different thing to say it when you're praying. Because let's say that prayer is answered. Yeah, not my will, but your will be done. Thank you, Jesus. But what if you say it from the beginning? putting that faith in the Lord, saying no matter what, no matter what, your will be done. And it may not make sense on this earth if he doesn't answer it. It may not make sense on this earth in our minds, our humanly minds that can't possibly fathom how big, how massive, and how miraculous our Lord is, but there will be a day that that will be answered. And it's just putting that faith and the trust in the Lord and saying, not my will, but your will be done even if I don't understand, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it makes me sad. I trust you. A perfect example is the current situation that we are being in this building. And thank you, Lord, for, for even providing. I think, you know, just this, this building and what we've made it into a church has been wonderful. Wonderful. But we first were supposed to get the CU building. Right? We kind of dodged a big bullet on that one. <laughs> but at the time, I remember when I got the call, I was in Florida, and it was the same exact day. My dad calls and he goes, we got the building. 
And the very same day he called me and he goes, they pulled out. And he was destroyed. It's not Pastor John's will to be in this building. So then we get our new building, Nichols Building. And we're supposed to move in it seamlessly as we move out of Lone Tree. (laughs) Not too seamlessly. But it's coming to the realization of this, hey, what is the Lord's will for us to be in this neighborhood at this time? What is he doing in us as a church? What is he doing in us as staff? Is he bringing the camaraderie? Are we going deeper spiritually? See, that wasn't Pastor John's will to come here. But he came to the realization of saying, I trust you no matter what. You've got something special for here. And when you can come to the place of accepting the circumstances and saying, I trust you, Lord, then he can move in your life personally. If you keep resisting these circumstances, keep saying, why are you doing this? Then how is God supposed to move in your life? How is he supposed to move? It's all about accepting his will. Now I want to close here. And I felt like what the Lord said um, was to talk a little bit on uh, the situations of what's going on in your life. Um, and uh, for anybody that knows um, me and how I write my messages, I actually leave my clothes pretty wide open uh, just, like, just to see what the Holy Spirit's doing. But I felt like the Lord said to talk about situations in people's lives. And I don't want to diminish anybody of what you're going through because each of us are going through different things. Each of us are going through harder things. And I don't want to put it down by saying just accept his will. And I felt like the Lord said, Daniel, just be sensitive with that. Yes, it's truth. If you're able to say not my will, but your will be done, that's truth. But that doesn't mean that everybody's in the position of saying that's easy. That it's easy just to accept his will. I felt like the Lord said there's a few people out here, believers and non-believers, visitors and attendees that have been here forever, that are going through stuff that has so deeply cut them. Whether it be something that affected them 20 years ago, whether it be something that happened last weekend, whether it's something that you have to go through every single day, whether it be a mistake that you made, whether it be a situation that you have to go through. And I felt like the Lord said, Daniel, just bring freedom to these people in these situations. And I know it's hard to realize and say in this situation, Lord, why? Why am I going through this? And there's not one single person in this room that's not going through at least one type of situation. Every single one of us is. Every single one of us is. And the Lord is saying, freedom. He's breathing on your situation and he's saying, trust on me. Believe me. And there's people in here that are saying, I won't even admit it. 
There's people that are sitting next to their spouses. There's people sitting next to people that they can't even say it out loud of the circumstances that they're going through, the situations that they're going through. And they feel stuck. And they feel like they can't go to anybody. What the Lord is saying is, I am there with you. I'm there with you. You're not alone. Regardless of what's happened to you. I know I may not be the person, but let me be the one to apologize for that person. Sorry for whatever has happened to you. And I know it's not the same. But let there be freedom in your life. What are those situations in your life? And it's so funny, like I was saying earlier, when writing the messages, it's always convicting to myself. It's always convicting to myself. Am I a meek person? I think I am. I think that's what most people would say, right? I think I'm meek. But if we go into the deep of the characteristics of what it is to be a meek person, are we accepting our limitations? Are we enabling others to help grow them? And are we accepting of the situations that we are in our lives? And for me, I was like, man, I've got a lot of work to do in this. And I don't think I'm the only one. You know, the meekest man ever to live was Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice that he did for us was the most meek act in the history of humanity. Realizing the situation that he was in and yet choosing to still do it. I think another characteristic that you can go throughout the Bible is doing what needs to be done. Doing what needs to be done. So I urge you, church, do what needs to be done in your lives. It's our communion weekend. So would you guys grab your cups of communion, please? So as we talk about what it is to be a meek person and, and, and clearly Jesus being the most meek human being to ever live, like I was saying a second ago, it's, it's, it's another characteristic of being a meek person is doing what needs to be done, is accepting the circumstances, is enabling others. Jesus did all those things. Jesus is the true definition of strength under control. When, get this. When he was at Pilate's house, and Pilate said, Will you not, you're not going to even ask for your freedom? Jesus said this. If I wanted a legion of angels to come down, I could call them down. One angel killed all the firstborn of Egypt, and he could have a legion of angels. 
that strength under control. And that's the Lord that we worship. And he chose the man that could have called legions of angels to kill every human being if he wanted to. Chose to humble himself. Chose to do the most meek act of all time by being hung on a cross, naked, whipped with a crown of thorns on his head, being humiliated. Yet he chose to do it. That's the Jesus we worship. That's the Lord we worship. So as we take this bread, we do it in remembrance of the body, of the sacrifice that he did for us. Would you join me? And with the wine or grape juice is a representation of the blood and the sacrifice of what he went through of everything that he went through for us. Guys, every time we should take communion, it should take us to a point of just complete and utter gratitude. We were lost, but now we're found. We were going to hell, but now we're going to heaven. He took our place so we could take his. This isn't something we should just go through the motions in. This is something that we should come to the true realization of, Lord, we do this in recognition of what you did for us. So we thank you, Jesus. Would you join me? I'm going to pray real quick. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you so much for who you are, what you've done in our lives. We pray that, that this church from here Lord, would be known for their acts of meekness. That this church would grow into being the definition of what you call meekness. We love you so much. And as we take communion today, we come to the realization that you truly were the meekest person to ever live and ever will live. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for what you did on the cross. Jesus is a work in the spirit right now. So work in your church. Work in your people. As they walk away, as they go about their lives, Lord, I pray that you would remind them throughout the week of being a more meek person, of being a better person. Lord, you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.